Hello and welcome to series two of the Training for Influence podcast. Our aim is to help you deliver the best training possible. We'll be exploring how to make the most of every single second in a training session and how to deliver training so that it has added influence. You'll be hearing from me, Tammy Banks, and I'll be chatting with Training for Influence graduates, facilitators and experts who can speak to each of the steps. Expert, tailored, engaging and values-led. We hope you find these podcasts really beneficial. It's my great pleasure to welcome Mike Rigglesworth to the podcast today. Mike's going to be talking to me about tailored, the second step in the training for influence methodology. Welcome, Mike. Morning, Tammy. Morning. Thank you so much for being here and for bearing with the um, technical difficulties as well. It's a pleasure. Would you mind, Mike, just telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, your past history and your current activities? Yeah, work-wise... I was a solicitor for over 30 years. I'm now a retired solicitor or non-practicing solicitor, just to make that clear. For most of that time, almost 27 years, I worked for the Crown Prosecution Service in a variety of uh, roles. So I started off appearing in the magistrate's corpse, doing all sorts of work there. Then later got a qualification so I could appear in the Crown Court. I then went and spent a few years working in our HQ, our policy department, and I had the lead for vulnerable and intimidated witnesses, which was really good, really interesting period of my life. I then left that and returned to area and headed up a Crown Advocacy Unit. So I was a manager then, mostly. So I did that for about 10-odd years. And then I finished off in a Razo unit, a manager there, which is a rape and serious sexual offences unit, which each CPS area has. And I was a a manager in in that for about, I think, about 18 months or so. And that was my last job there. Oh, wow. So you've had a really quite varied and eclectic career, but all connected to justice and supporting vulnerable people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have really, <laughs> overall. Fantastic. And now you're starting to deliver training and to share your expertise, aren't you? Yeah. What I didn't mention there was throughout my time at CPS, I always delivered training. I always had an interest in that. So I started off training on child abuse prosecutions and I started training on achieving best evidence, which was the overall government policy and programme that came at the end of the last century for the Youth Justice and Criminal Evidence Act 1999 and implementing special measures for vulnerable and intimidated witnesses. So I did training for that around the country, such exotic places as as Norwich (laughs) uh, and all over the place, which I I loved doing that as well. So when I finished full-time work, I decided, one, I did not want to be employed anymore by anybody. That was new rule number one. The other one was, was that I wanted to do various things. I wanted to do various volunteering roles which I am doing, but I also wanted to do some work roles as well. So I'm I'm doing a bit of question setting for examinations, which can be quite fun uh, in a strange way, and some training with, say, training that I'm I'm really enjoying. And I might uh, hopefully in the new year do a bit of lecturing to students, but I'm just waiting to hear about that. Oh, fantastic. What will you be lecturing on? Criminal law. (laughs) (laughs) The bread and butter. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Actually, your training post-retirement is centering very much on everything that you experienced during your working life then. 
Yeah, a lot of it is. When I first came on board with Tay, when I first saw it and I first went to the online get-togethers and training, for quite a few weeks I thought, I'm not sure if I've got the right skill sets or experience for this, but I just took it a step at a time. I knew there were some former police officers amongst the recruits as well, which was sort of a good sign. But I think it was after I'd observed the safeguarding awareness, I thought, yeah, I can see myself presenting this training with my own examples and my own background, which is different from the person who presented the training who I was watching. In fact, there's a couple of trainers, very different backgrounds to me. But I learned a lot from listening to them, their experiences and, and their examples, which was great. Yeah, it's really interesting because I know when we're running the Training for Influence, Train the Trainer course, all of the trainees, so yourself as you're discussing then, always really value going and observing other people delivering. But what's really interesting is we always hear back from those people who were delivering that day saying actually how much they valued the perspectives of the trainees as well. Because obviously you chat at break and lunch and sometimes there's some involvement in some of the breakout rooms and things like that. And it's always really interesting for me to hear how much they have really valued having trainees with different experience in as well. Yeah, I mean, it's great. I mean, there are always pros and cons of training on your own or training with somebody else. But the good thing about training with somebody else or observing somebody else is it gives you a bit of thinking time, both for you and the person who's the lead on the training. And I've said to a few, when we've been preparing for it, if I've been co-facilitating, and we've come to a certain bit on the training that I've said, oh, we can ping and pong on this. You know, I've always described it as a tag team. Yeah. Um, you know, right, you take over. I'm, I've, I just need to sort of gather my thoughts for a few minutes. Or you can sort of sense it with, with the other trainer, and the other trainer just needs to think, where are we now? What time is it? Right, okay, we just need to perhaps just alter course a little bit here. So, yeah, really valuable. And as I say, just learning from the other facilitator, but also the people on the course, because the audience, for want of a better term, with Tay, is so different from the people I've trained in the past. So, you know, people who work in prisons, people who work in drug rehabilitation. I find that really interesting to hear what they've got to say. Yeah, absolutely. I do too. I really enjoy the sessions for exactly that reason, because there's always something for us to learn as facilitators. And things are changing rapidly. And so it helps me to feel connected to some of those yeah. changes as well, which yeah. I think is always useful in this line of work, isn't it? Yeah, and especially for me, who's at the front line, you know, I could just switch on the computer at work and have the internal computer system. And they were really, really good at keeping us updated with things. So now on my own, it's that much more challenging to, to keep up to date with things. Yeah, absolutely. So when you were going through the Training for Influence course, I can see without too much of a stretch of my mind that um, you've got the operational expert part down and under your belt, really, 30 plus years of working within the criminal sector and then with vulnerable people. So I can see without a doubt the interconnectivity and some of the things that we talk about, particularly on that operational expert part, is about being able to have those stories, to bring things alive, to make those emotional connections with your delegates. I have no doubt whatsoever from our discussions and obviously getting to know you over the course that that is something that you do and you do really well because of that connected experience. But today we're talking specifically about the next step, which is the tailored step. And that's the difference really between having a standard course that can be rolled out to anybody and then taking that course and making it really specifically related to the delegates in the room or the objective that you're hoping to help the delegates to achieve. 
talk me through kind of your perspectives of that step in the methodology and why it's important. Yeah, I think the tailored part of it, it really struck several chords with me when we covered that and when I've read that part of your book, Refresh My Memory, on that. From my perspective, my history, when other people on the course are saying, oh, well, you know, I've been a trainer for a while, that, that's my work, that's how I pay the bills. I've been called in at the last minute the night before to deliver training on a topic I'm not really that au fait with. And I was going, really? That's, oh. But my background was, and this is where it chimed in, was that the training I delivered, it had to be tailored. It had to be tailored. So in your book, you're talking about the legislation, keeping up to date. Well, as you might expect with a group of lawyers, it's really important to keep up to date with the legislation. And it's a movable feast. It's always changing. When to enforce? Which bits apply to us? Where's the guidance? So when you're talking the steps of the legislation, and then there's, there might be some government guidance, and then your organisation might have some guidance on it. Well, that's exactly how we worked. And the people I delivered to were people doing the same job as me or allied jobs. So again, when, when you talk about the organisation, what are their aims and objectives? Well, I knew that because I worked for them. But I would go through my delegate list because sometimes people came from other parts of the country, I didn't know them, and I'd see, well, what job did they do? Because they weren't always lawyers. They might do another job within the organisation. So I had a feel for where they were coming from and perhaps what they wanted out of it. So the whole tailored side of it was something I'd been doing for a long time. And to be fair, it, it was something that the organisation I worked for did, and, and, and I think that bit was done well. So, yeah, yeah, I totally, totally get that and agree with it. Yeah, and I can see there kind of why it's always been fundamental within the line of work that you've been doing, specifically because of the subjects that you've been sharing yeah. and also the real need to be up to date and relevant with everything that you're doing because you're representing other people from that perspective, aren't you? Absolutely, because, you know, you go into court, <laughs> the judge is not going to be impressed <laughs> if you don't know what it is and quite often judges will say to advocates um I just wonder if you can help me on this point Mr Rigglesworth what is the latest case law on this <laughs> and you think well you're the judge don't you know but you can't say that and sometimes you don't always have the answer and you say and if you want to just give me a few moments I will look that up yes of course all very polite so yeah you literally have to think on your feet and whilst you don't have all the answers necessarily if you don't have the answer if you're not sure then you've got to know where to look yeah. That, that was a mantra for us, you know, you know where to look if you don't know the answer. And for goodness sakes, don't give an answer that's wrong, because that could just be disastrous. Yeah. And actually, I think that's a real learning point for anybody who facilitates training with regards to don't give an answer that's wrong. And I remember this quite acutely from when I was first delivering training. You feel this pressure that you should know everything yeah. and that you're there as that font of knowledge. And it's not until, or at least for me, it wasn't until I relaxed into my ability as a facilitator that I accepted and recognised that I, I don't need to know everything. In fact, whichever subject I'm talking to, the chances are that there's people in the room who have similar knowledge, some more extensive knowledge. I quite often do safeguarding refreshers, for instance, with people who have been operating within the field of safeguarding for far longer than I have in yeah. years and across different sectors. And I think there comes a point within your professional life from facilitating training and I think your example means that it needs to happen sooner within the sector that you're talking about here or the training that you're talking about 
But I know from my perspective as a kind of more general trainer, it took me a while to be confident enough to say, actually, I'm not sure. Does anybody else in the room know? Or I'm not sure. I'll go find out about it and I'll come back after lunch. And now that doesn't bother me at all. In fact, if when I'm observing people against the training for influence methodology to assess them, if they say something like that, I always see them go red in the face as they're trying to second guess whether I think that's a good or a bad thing. As I'm writing, literally drawing gold stars on their bit of paper, you know, because it, it's such a powerful realisation, I think. Yeah, I mean, I used to work to a tough crowd, you know, there were usually a whole bunch of lawyers and lawyers like to show off. So, you know, there'd all be somebody saying, I don't think that's right, Michael. I think you'll find that section three, not section four. Uh, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, usually pretty good, but you knew you had a very informed audience along the same lines that you worked. Obviously, with Tate, it's different because I know, you know, if people, for example, are working in prisons, then, well, I've never worked within prisons. I've not had to deal with situations in prisons. I can give them examples to illustrate a point, but it, it won't be... I mean, hopefully they'll be illustrative and useful to where they are, but obviously I can't say, oh, yes, I had a similar situation on D-Wing because, you know, you I've never didn't. been on D-Wing, so, so there we have it. Yeah, exactly. So if we're thinking of that layering pyramid, which is um, mm. in the book, so if any listeners are interested, then in the book there is a pyramid where it shows all the different layers that we follow when we're tailoring a course within the methodology. And Mike kind of explained earlier how that legislation is that bottom rung of the pyramid. And then it talks about guidance and things. And then it goes up into um, quality assurance and expectations and monitoring expectations and things like that, which, again, are all externally informed. Do you know, exactly as the examples you were given there, Mike, all of that stuff is externally informed and should form that bedrock of your training course. Whatever your training course is, they should be the first place you look, really, to start building that bedrock. We won't have any legislation guidance or, in some cases, any quality assurance in some subjects that we're delivering, but it certainly is the first place to look connected to those objectives. But then we go very much into the personal tailoring, don't we? Kind of the mm. consideration specifically of the organisation, the customer group and the delegates in the room. From your, I guess, your historic experience of training and your more recent experience of training, how important is that top level tailoring to the people that are specifically in the room? I think it's really important. And it's not just from your own experience, it's looking at what's happening in the news, for example. So I know on training I've been involved in with Tay, there's quite often been discussions or me or co-facilitator saying about the lockdown in the context of domestic violence, for example, how there's been at least one recent report that I've drawn people's attention to about the effect of lockdown and COVID on domestic violence, things like that, that people can look at later that they might not have heard about because it's come out very recently. So recent reports into safeguarding issues that keep people really current in the sort of work that they're doing. And it may also be some news stories that you come across. You know, you can say to people, well, come across this. Have you heard about that? This illustrates this particular point, I think, very well. I've always done that. Historically, when I've been delivering training, I've always looked out for things that I can use. So one example I did when I was delivering training a long time ago on vulnerable and intimidated witnesses or what we call special measures in courts so things like pre-recorded examination in chief, for example, yeah. uh, for, for children, that sort of thing. 
I was making the point, well, that isn't the whole picture. That's a way of getting the evidence into court that might not be able to be put before a tribunal otherwise. But what about the person? And, and this is where we've got the, I keep saying vulnerable witnesses. I know I shouldn't be saying that. Adults at risk or children at risk is a far better term. But I was saying, what about the witness? What about how rounded they are? What do you know about them as they're going to court? How are they being prepared for going to court? Because if they bowl up at a big, impressive court building, especially a crown court, and they've never been in there before, whoa, they might not go in. I remember once we were meant to have a trial in the magistrate's court and the witness bowled up and the court was on the first floor with a big flight of stairs. It's like a two-decker porter cabin. Um, the witness was a wheelchair user and there was no lift. Oh. So that was a long time ago and the police now have witness care units and they should cover these sorts of things. But the other example I used was a long time ago, a lady who came to the church I went to, she had two children. The older son had Down syndrome. The younger son was autistic. And she drew up like pen portraits of both the children saying the dietary needs, what the basic things they could understand, what they couldn't understand. And it was brilliant. And I used that with her permission in the training because the, the son who had Down syndrome, when I first met him, I sort of went, oh, hello, I'm Mike, how are you? Because everybody I'd ever met before with Down syndrome could verbalise, they could speak. But this young man couldn't speak. So I, I just totally not understood the way he communicated. But one thing I said, he was gluten intolerant. So I said, imagine if he was a witness going to court and a very kindly usher offers him a biscuit, which isn't gluten-free, obviously. What's going to happen? So that was sort of drawing the example totally out of my you know, work environment, but something I knew about from somebody else. Yeah. So give them the example about if you're going to do it properly and give witness care the attention it needs, you basically need a far fuller understanding of the witness so that they can achieve their best evidence at courts, which was the end goal. Yeah, no, absolutely. So that kind of gives some really good examples there of how you can tailor it from that bedrock with regards to that information that isn't going to change. That kind of, I guess, evidence-based information is at that bottom level, isn't it? And then bring in your own experiences, but tailor them to the understanding of the people that are in the room so that they connect with them from that element as well and bring that strength of I guess just strength of understanding, really, because that's what we need when we're in a training. We need the subject matter to be brought alive enough that we have that real understanding of how this can make a difference. Yeah. And then what about that final level of tailoring with regards to actually who's in the room with you and what they need from you? So I know with the training for influence methodology and therefore all TAY courses, before any subject is delivered, there's a phone conversation or nowadays a Zoom or a team conversation that's specifically with the team manager of the organisation that the training session is being delivered for. And within that conversation, it's very much about finding out about that team and why was this training booked and what are you trying to achieve within it? What's the team like at the moment? Where is their emotional resilience? How are they managing? How are they coping? What skills do they have? Are there any techniques you want us to focus on, etc.? Drilling it right down to that team within the context of what's working for them, within the context of their organisation, and then always within the context of customers with complex needs. Where do you sit with regards to kind of that level of tailoring? I think that's really important. I mean, I suppose that tailoring, what we've discussed 
up to now, I've been very much on board with, I felt, well, that's basically how I've understood and delivered my training. Obviously, this bit is different for me because it didn't work that way in CPS. But obviously, when you are dealing with external organisations, it's critical because if you're internal, you know things, you might know people, you should know what the score is, what the position is. Obviously, when it's to an external organisation, you don't. So I think it is really important to drill down to that level because otherwise you're going to have people who are disengaged. And I mean, we've all had that. We'll all have somebody staring out the window, not engaging with you. But with the training that I've done with Tay, when it's been an organisation I didn't know about before, as you put in the book, I've not been designing the course, but I've been looking at what that organisation is, what it does. Is it housing? What, what is it? So I need to have an understanding. And obviously, the way you've structured your training, there are the parts about their policy and their objects. So you can bring it round or you can ask people about that side of things. You tell me how that's going to impact in your work. And just to make sure that the examples you use from your professional life are ones that whilst outside their area, that it's going to hit a chord with them. You're going to get those nods. You're going to get that feedback saying, which I have had, you know, my sort of knowledge of the criminal justice system has been really valuable in what I do. So that's when you know you're hitting it right. But you can't do that unless you put that homework in. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because people assume that that homework takes ages, but it really doesn't in my experience, particularly once you get a little bit more confident with it. If you have a course already, so if we use one of our equality and diversity, for instance, is quite an obvious and simple one to use. So we have a standard equality and diversity and inclusion course. But actually, we've got facilitators delivering it at the moment to three different organisations at the same time. And that course is presented so differently to all three of those organisations, specifically because of the need of the organisations, the complexity within the organisations. And then one of the organisations has some recent grievances around a couple of the protective factors. And so actually for each of those organisations, although the same underpinning level of information is there, how that is then drawn upon, displayed and shared and brought alive is really quite significantly different because of the conversations that we've had with their team managers about why are you booking this course? Yeah. I can identify with that, actually, because towards the end of my time with CPS, I delivered training, which was nationally based training. I had had an input into how it had been constructed, but I had to deliver that. And that was mainly to lawyers. But the police, uh, one of the police forces we worked with, wanted some training. So with the lawyers, it was a day. With the police, I did a few half day sessions because of the time that they had to give. And obviously I had to tailor it. One, I had to make it shorter, but I also had to make it relevant to the police. They didn't need to know all the things that the lawyers needed to know. And some of it, going back to the pyramid, was checking things. So when you're talking about guidance, I was holding up a booklet, which was specifically for the police on this topic, saying, we've all got this, haven't we? Hands up if you've seen this before. Very few hands were going up and I just had to be careful. I didn't go, oh my word, you know, bury my head in that. And because this guidance was not new. And I considered it, well, anybody would consider it really important. So it was partially the tailoring. It was also the checking that people had the guidance, that they knew the guidance. And that they understood it in a way that would be usable for them. We can all learn information by rote, but actually that doesn't make it applicable. And I think equality and diversity and inclusion is a perfect one about that because people will say, well, we can just do e-learning on it. And it's like, no, that's not the same. 
we did a lot of e-learning and I always thought e-learning has a place and it, it can set a foundation. And as I said, the last course I delivered, you had to do the e-learning and complete it, but then you had to go on the face-to-face training. It was meshing the two together. So hopefully it had a level playing field before you went into the classroom. Yeah, well, interestingly, we're working with an organisation now where we've delivered a few hundred uh, Mental Capacity Act training courses for them. And we're just converting it from January so that their team members will be undertaking Mental Capacity Act e-learning first, which is going to be about the legislation and the five principles. And then when they come to us for that three-hour session, it's going to be very much discursive about how they apply to their customers. Their customers are primarily people experiencing mental health difficulties and substance misuse. And so mental capacity, the fluidity of it, and really understanding kind of that best interests element is really key. And you can only do that from discussion and from case examples and such like. And that's always been a really core part of the course, but it's always been the last hour. Mm. And the feedback has strongly suggested that that's what they value most. So they're going to do the, we're calling it pre-learning. They're going to do that for about an hour and a half prior to coming on the course. We'll still cover, obviously, the legislation and the principles, but from a different perspective, from an activity-based perspective, and then go straight into that discussion and be able to have deeper level of discussion. And so I think it's difficult, isn't it? Because I've always said, you know, I really don't like e-learning, but it's e-learning in isolation. But when you're tailoring towards an organisation and that organisation can invest in three hours of the staff time and they can't invest much longer than that, If you can then tailor what you're delivering so that in that three hours they're getting everything they need, if that includes some of that pre-learning, then that's just as beneficial from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I do agree with that. So, Mike, has there been any times where you've attended training where it's been clearly not tailored to you as an individual when you've been on the session? I don't think there has, actually. I mean... Before I joined CPS, I would go on courses, so I'd specifically look out courses I wanted to go on. So, you know, they should sort of meet the needs I I want. They're so long ago, I can't remember now whether I thought they were good or bad. And then within the organisation, some of it you had to go on, and other parts you could go on it. And as I say, because I think they followed some of the principles that you espouse, you did keep that attention. I'm not saying that there weren't some boring bits or, you know, you just post lunch and you're sort of just in that sort of two o'clock bit dozy haze or the room's a bit warm or whatever it is. But the training was always delivered by people who were experts and it did have to be tailored because of the nature of the job, if you see what I mean. So I think I've been fortunate overall with the training that I've received. Yeah, and I guess because you were in such a specialist role. Um, yeah that actually by default anybody coming to deliver to you would have had to have tailored the information? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously people can, you know, some are better presenters or facilitators than others, but at its best, you can't beat it. I remember going on a homicide course, not how to do it, but how to prosecute homicides. And it was over um, Halloween. I think it was in Scarborough. It was all very sort of misty and wintry and everything. And And you had these two older prosecutors who prosecuted so many homicides in the life that they just made it so compelling and dare I say entertaining you know during the time we were there and I think that was a couple of days back in the day you know when you could go on a training course for two or three days. 
Yeah, and they're the days that I long for slightly. <laughs> I do think, like I talk about training for influencers, a creative solution for exactly that reason, because yeah. actually we would ship people off for specialist training, particularly in emotional resilience and delivering from a trauma-informed perspective and valuing people and things like that. I think that they're really fundamental for everybody who's working on the front line. And yet we don't have that opportunity really to be trained in those elements, which yeah. is why we kind of sneak them in into all of our training for exactly yeah. that reason. And, and, and I should say that, I mean, that's a really good thing to have in. That's something we didn't have in our training at all. It was all about the subject matter. So I think the way that you weave it into all the different training, no matter what the training is, is really important and it's not to be rushed. You've got to make sure that you cover that properly towards the end of the training day. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's that drip, drip, drip effect, isn't it? If we do that every single session, then actually that builds upon itself and then hopefully people start believing it. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> So, Mike, is there anything you'd like to say just to finish off to our listeners about the importance of tailoring a session that you're developing and you're going to deliver for other people? Yeah, it's really critical and it's something that makes it personal as well. It makes it something of your own, even if you haven't developed training yourself. It just gives it that and it can give a hook. I think if you give the right examples, especially in the training and ensure that the examples you use are tailored to the people on the course that's what they're going to remember they're going to remember that story that example that amplification yeah that's what they're going to take away that's what they might tell their partner or, or whoever when they get home what was the training like but oh, they, you know this person told me this story and it was compelling that's what's going to stick in their memory and hopefully they'll use it in the work yeah absolutely that emotional learning that storytelling but from yeah. a perspective of meeting them where they're at and then building upon that so no that's brilliant thank you so much mike it's been lovely to talk to you today i love talking about the methodology anyway but it's brilliant talking to somebody with such an interesting history to share as well thank you if you'd like to um connect with mike or find out more about him then you can find him over on linkedin as mike rigglesworth and we'll be delivering multiple courses for tay in the near future Thanks so much for listening. We hope you found this podcast both useful and enjoyable. If you'd like to access any of the free resources mentioned, assess your training against the methodology, or find out more about the Train the Trainer program, please head to our website, trainingforinfluence.co.uk. And to finish, I'd just like to say, I truly believe that facilitating training is both an opportunity and a privilege. So thank you for recognising that effective values-led training can make a real difference to delegates, to organisations and ultimately to people accessing frontline services.